So I'm going to talk about a topic today that is not a topic that people love to talk about. It's not a topic that we really enjoy talking about. It's not something that we really just relish discussing. But I'm going to talk about the subject of failure. The subject of failure. Failure is one of those things that we all kind of have our own personal relationship with. We've all failed in some ways in our lives, and a lot of times what we do with failure is we kind of bury it. When we blow it in some area of our life, we try to sort of stuff it, we try to put it away, we try to keep it in the shadows, we try to relegate it under the rug and try to avoid it. But I don't know about you, but for me, failure is a real sticky thing. So like, I, I can't remember all the times that all of my victories, but I can remember really clearly most of my failures. For some reason, they just, they're just there. They're present for me. Like I can remember big failures and I, I can remember little failures. I remember, uh, I remember losing a foot race to Gordy McDaniel in the third grade at Tar Heel Elementary School in Lancaster, Ohio. A long time, I, I actually remember the moment we're running, we've got our corduroys on, you know, back in the day, and we're running. And I remember the moment that Gordy McDaniel starts pulling ahead and I'm like, I'm gonna lose this race. And I lost the race. I remember the failure. I remember failures. I remember a failure. I don't know why mine are all sports related, but um, I remember a failure uh, when I was in high school. I was at Pattonville High School. No, okay. And, um, and so um, I thought there might be one. Uh, got you, got you. Amen, amen. The favored few, the Pattonville Pirates. Sorry, no. Um, and I remember this wrestling tournament, and I was, I was supposed to win this. I was seated first in this tournament. And I, and I, you know, I knew this guy that I was wrestling, and I, and I was like, I'm going to beat this guy. I knew I was going to. And I was winning. I was winning 13 to 1. I remember it very clearly. And it was, it, was, it was the Pattonville tournament. So it was at our school, surrounded by my friends and my family and coaches and everything. And then third period, I got a little loose. I got a little sloppy. I got a little haphazard. And this guy ankle picked me. I went on my back. He landed on top of me. And he pinned me in the third period. Yeah, I know. And, and I remember that. I mean, for whatever reason, our failures kind of stick to us. And here's one thing that I think happens for a lot of us. When we fail at something whether it's in a relationship or financially or at school or an educational opportunity or whatever. When we fail, morally, ethically, when we fail, that failure can have a way of finding its way down into our heart and attaching itself to our identity, attaching itself to how we view ourselves, so that when we fail again, we don't think of that failure simply as an episode. We think of it as part of our identity. We connect it back to the failure that we failed before. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, when we fail, we take it from, I failed, to, I'm a failure. We take it from, hey, this happened, and I'm going to learn from it, to, hey, maybe this is who I am, right? And today, we've been, we've been following Simon Peter around, and we, we see this pattern uh, over the last few weeks in his life. And the pattern for Simon is sometimes he does things that far exceeds our expectations. He, he, he steps out of the boat. He walks on the water. He declares the, the, the identity of Jesus. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, you're the rock. I mean, we see these moments for Peter where we go, man, this guy's amazing. But then there's a pattern. It seems like every time he succeeds, he follows it with failure. Every time he does something great, then something bad happens. Every time he takes one step forward, he takes another step back, Right? And so that's why I relate to, 
to Peter because I feel like that's our life for so many of us. Sometimes we're cooking, sometimes we're trucking, sometimes we're moving down the path that we know we should be going down. We're doing well, and then bang, something happens. We hit a wall. We make a mistake. We forget. We get sloppy. We get ankle picked, thrown on our back, pinned to the, to the mat. Something happens, and we fail. So what do we do with failure? What do we do when we fail? I want to take a few moments today. I'm going to read you a story um, uh, from the life of Simon Peter. And this story represents his greatest failure. We've seen him mess up. We've seen him make mistakes. This story represents the epic failure in Simon's life. This is the moment where he had an opportunity to shine. He had an opportunity to prove, I am the rock, right? And he blew it. And I want to read you the story, uh, and I want you to see if you can find yourself somewhere in this narrative. It says this. Well, let me, let me give you a quick backdrop. It's Passover. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's with his disciples. They're in a, 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 a room, and they're having dinner, and Jesus is telling them, I'm about to die. Um, and and they're, all, they're all arguing that none of them uh, are going to forsake him or desert him. And this is what Jesus says. He turns to Simon in the midst of this conversation. He says, Simon... Simon, remember he called him Peter last week? He calls him Simon this week, right? He knows what's getting ready to happen. Simon's getting ready to, to, to get into his old identity. Simon, Simon, he said, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Peter, Simon, I'm praying that you will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Hold on to that line. We're going to come back to that line. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, ah, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Then they seized Jesus, skipping down to verse 54. They seized Jesus. They led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, And Peter was following at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, meaning Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the greatest failure in the life of one of the greatest heroes of the faith. This was the moment where Peter had an opportunity to say, yes, I know him, and he is the Christ, and he is the Messiah, and if you crucify him, you're making a mistake because he is, the, he is the savior of the world. But he didn't do it. When his servant girl turned on him and said, hey, don't you know him? No, 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 no. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I'm not with him. I don't even know who he is, right? 
Today I want to title this sermon, When Failure Seems Final. When failure seems final. When I was a kid, my dad would gather my sisters and I together, and he had this book. It was a book of like a hundred great poems, and he would, he would love to pull us together and do these sort of dramatic readings of these poems, and it was actually really fun. I mean, these, they had all these great, you know, sort of famous American poems. Some of you may have heard them. I remember there was one that was very inspiring. It was by Rudyard Kipling called If. Does anybody know that poem? It says like, uh, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If, if, if you know, you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but give allowance for their doubting too. Anybody know that poem? I can't remember all of it, but, but it, it was this inspiring poem about manhood. Like, if you can do this, and if you can do that, and if you can do this, then you'll be a man, my son. That's how it ends. Then you'll be a man, my son. You read it, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm going to do all those things. If I can do this, and I'll do that. And it was a really inspiring poem. And then there were other poems that had like this, you know, there was a kind of a scary poem it was called The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Do you remember that poem? And there's like this talking bird and he's pecking on the window. Peck, 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 nevermore, he's saying. You know, it's like really creepy, um, weird, and won't quote any lines from that one. But, um, but then there was this one poem that he would read us. And I just remembered, like, this was the poem that bugged me because I hated the way that it ended. It was a poem that just, it didn't seem like it should end the way it ended. It was a poem called Casey at the Bat. Does anybody remember Casey at the Bat? So there is a poem called Casey at the Bat, and it's, it's set in this fictional town called Mudville. And Mudville is this, is this town, and they've got this baseball team, and on this baseball team is this guy named Casey. And Casey is a slugger. Casey's the ringer. You know, Casey is just a great, great baseball player, and he just cranks home runs, and he's just an awesome guy. But Mudville's in trouble. They're in a game, and they're down by two runs, and it's the bottom of the ninth, and there are uh, two outs, and there are two guys before Casey. And the two guys that are up before Casey are lousy hitters. And so the, the fans, the Mudville fans, start to despair. They start, they start to lose hope. They go, well, if only Casey could get up to bat, then we could win. But with these two guys, eh, these guys can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag, man. These guys are bad baseball players. They can't. So, so people start to despair. People start to lose hope. But then the first batter gets up, and to the surprise of everybody, he miraculously hits a single, and he gets on base. And people go, oh, wait, okay, now we got, we've got, like, you know, uh, a guy on base. So maybe there's a chance. There's two outs. We're down by two, but there's a chance. Then the second guy gets up, and he cranks it and hits the, hits the cover off the ball, makes a double. So now you got a guy on third and a guy on second. So the crowd is going, okay, all right. And now it's Casey's turn to bat. And so everybody goes, my Lord, we were down, but this is going to be an amazing comeback because Casey is going to crank this ball over the, home, over the center field line, and we're going to get a home run, and we're going to drive in these two runs. We're going to win three to two. So I'm going to read you a part of the poem. You guys want to hear the poem? Some of you do. Some of you are like, not really, but that's okay. I'm going to read it. Um, so they're all anticipating, right? It says, then from 5,000 throats and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley. It rattled through the dell. It knocked up on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, 
Defiance gleamed in Casey's eye. A sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air. And Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. Are you feeling it? Anybody? Any? From the benches black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's vis visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud, cried the maddened thousands. The echo answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they saw that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball. And now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in the favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. I mean, when I remember the first time he read that poem to me, I'm like, what? Wait, wait, what? Like... That's the end of the poem? Because the whole time, it's like, there's going to be a great comeback. There is a victory in the works. Casey is going to save the day. And the poem ends that the mighty Casey strikes out, close the book, good night, kids, time to go to bed. It's like, wait a minute. How do you go to bed after that, right? Because it's not a, it's not a poem about victory. It's a poem about failure. It's a poem that like hits the, that little part of your heart that goes, what? It can't end that way right? It, can't, it just can't. Some of you know the experience of failure. Some of you are experiencing it right now. Some of you have been thinking about it this week. You have failed at something, or maybe you have failed multiple times at something, and you have been tempted to believe, and maybe you've even believed that it somehow attaches to who you are. You started going, you know, I, 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 I mean, I don't know. I just, I just feel like a failure. I just keep blowing it. I just keep blowing it. Maybe it's in your relationship. Something in, in your current relationship or, or a past relationship where if you look back on it, you can see it. Like hindsight's twenty twenty. You see the mistakes, the missteps. You were too needy or you were too callous or, or you didn't pay enough attention or you didn't say the right thing. You said the wrong thing. You should have said this and you said that. And if you could go back and rewind the tape, you would do it differently, but you can't. And so that failure somehow sticks with you. Maybe for some of you, it's a career or a, a business decision that you made. There was an opportunity that you could have grabbed at some point in your life, but like you got distracted or you made some bad decisions or you weren't thinking right and you didn't do the right thing. But if you had, things would have turned out differently. And you look back and you go, that was a failure. That was a failure. It was an opportunity to change my life and I didn't take it. What do I do with that? Because that failure sticks to me. Failure is like, it's like hot gum that sticks to the bottom of your shoe, man. It's just like, it feels like you just, it just keeps stretching everywhere you go and it's still there. You don't know what to do with it, right? So you bury it or you hide it. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's a family thing. You said something to your family, your, your kids. That's the one for parents, man. Parents, 
you know, you're, you're trying to raise these kids, you're trying to do the right thing, and then, you know, you blow it. You say something you shouldn't have said, or you don't say something, or you weren't available when you should have been, and you just go, man, gosh, I'm blowing it, right? Failure. What do we do with failure? Because the thing is, with failure, you never anticipate it. You don't ever go, I'm going to go fail right now. If you go do something, you think you're going to do it right. You think you're going to succeed at it. And then you're surprised when your expectations don't match your actions. When your actions just don't rise up to the level of you. Like if you look at Peter, if you look at what Simon said, when, when everybody is, 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 is saying, you know, who's going to deny him, who's going to betray him, look at Peter says. Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I, Jesus, failure is not an option for me. I will not fail. If all of the others deny you, I will not deny you. I will not fail. I will go to prison. I will go to the death. I will do whatever you require of me. I will not fail you, right? It's not a matter, when we fail, it's not a matter of want. It's a matter of will. The problem is not that we don't have the desire. It's that somewhere we lose the dedication. Somewhere along the line, our, our, our aspirations don't match our actions, we, we hope, we want, we believe, we desire, but then, dang it, we fail. We drop the ball. We strike out. We miss it, right? And Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. That's the crazy thing. He actually knew it before Peter knew it. Peter thought he wasn't going to fail. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, I'm going to tell you this. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to fail. You don't want to fail. I know you've got the passion, but you don't have the power. You are going to fail me. And I'm going to tell you a, a point, and it's going to sort of take you a minute to process this, right? Peter thinks that, that, that it's not an option, that failure is not an option. But if you're following Jesus, failure is not only an option, it's an expectation, if you are trying to do the things that God is calling you to do, you will not always do them right. You will not always do them perfectly. You will be stretching beyond your ability. You will be reaching beyond your grasp. If you're trying to follow Jesus, you will fail. There will be moments of failure. Jesus said, Peter, look, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. You will fail. Why, do, why does he allow that to happen? Why does Jesus allow us to fail? Why doesn't he just like, you know, if I was Peter and Jesus said, you're gonna die me three times, I would just shut it down. I would lock it down. I would like go to a hotel room and just like stay in a hotel room and just lock the door. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna fail. I'm gonna block it off, right? I mean, I wouldn't do it. But here's the thing. Failure is a prerequisite to progress. And, and what I mean by that is the only way that you can find out the the, the scope of your capacity is if you try to reach to, to the scope of your capacity and you will find it. And at certain point when you find it, you will exceed it. And when you exceed it, you will fail. And that's how you will develop. If I were to sit down with my three-year-old son, Augustine, and, and I were to say, son, I'm gonna take you to the park today and you're gonna scrape your hands and you're gonna scrape your knees and there's gonna be blood and there's gonna be crying and uh, there are gonna be tears, like big old tears coming down your face and you're gonna be weeping and you're going to be angry, and you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to be hurting. You want to go to the park? Right? Many of you, well, first of all, he would say no. And, and, and if you heard me say that, you might go, dude, that is like not a good father move. That is not, 
what you want to say to your son, right? But if I were to sit him down and I go, hey, Augustine, I'm going to take you to the park and I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike today. You would go, oh man, that's a good dad. Well, guess what? It's the same thing. It's the same event, right? That's, this is what's going to happen if I do this, right? Because I'm going to take him into a zone that he does not, he's not capable of doing. I'm going to take him somewhere where he can't go, where he can't succeed at first in order to develop something in him that will allow him to exceed down the road. And so Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, I'm going to take you into some waters where you're not going to be able to swim yet. I'm going to pull you into some stuff that you're not going to be able to accomplish yet. You will fail. All right. That's what's going to happen. Now, I, I, I never noticed this before and I don't know any. I've never heard it preached before, but I started thinking about this. Why, why do we focus on Peter's failure? Like, because, you know, Peter's the one who really blew it. And, and some of us might even be tempted to go, you know, Peter, he's, like, he's really an excessive fail, failure. He's a failure. Like, he fails more than I fail. I fail a little bit. Like, I make little course, I have to make little course corrections because my failures are kind of small. But Peter's are just like huge, fa- right? Why do we look at Peter that way? I want to show you something. I want to show you something that I've never noticed. And here's why Peter fails. Peter fails because it says, when they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. Now, I want you to get this, all right? The scripture says that all of the disciples deserted Jesus. They all ran. Peter was the one that followed Jesus. Peter kept trying to be close to Jesus. Peter kept risking it. The other disciples did not put themselves in a position where their loyalty would be tested. They all went home and hid. That's why we don't read about the denial of Bartholomew. Because Bartholomew was under the covers with a pillow over his head, hiding out. And Peter was trying to pursue Jesus. You see, Peter put himself in a position where he would have to try to withstand the pressure. It was dangerous for Peter to be out on the street on that night in Jerusalem. Jesus was being arrested, you know, for insurrection. He's probably going to die. His followers could be killed. And Peter kept going after him. So the fact that Peter failed is not a reflection that, oh, man, Peter just has poor moral character. It's a reflection that Peter reached the, the end of his capacity. He went as far as he could go, and then he broke under the pressure, right? But, but at least he went as far as he could go. At least he's the one that stepped out of the boat. At least he's the one that speaks out. At least he's the one that actually tries to pursue Jesus. You see, what, what I think Jesus is showing us here is that, of course, you're going to fail, but you're only going to fail if you try. But I want you to try because it's through your failure. Your failure is a prerequisite to your progress. You will learn. You will grow as you keep per- pursuing me and keep coming after me. doesn't mean you'll get it right every time, but you're going to grow and you're going to develop. And you're going to get stronger. When I drop my boys off at school, we have this kind of running gag now where one, you know, I have like a little, a little thing that I say to them and it sort of it varies from day to day, but it always includes something like this. I say, boys, I want you to do your best. I want you to try to love somebody today, right? And I want you to fail a couple times. And that's what I say when I drop them off at school. And if you were just like listening in from afar, you'd be like, wait, you want them to try to fail? You want them to actually purposely mess up? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I want you to try to do something that you don't know if you can do it. I want you to try to do something that probably exceeds your abilities. And you might fail, but that's okay. Because if you fail, then you will learn. And if you learn, then you will grow. And so I want you to push it just a little bit farther today. So Jesus is saying, look, I, I, it is an option, Peter. Failure is an option. 
And it's not just an option, it's an expectation. If you're gonna really stretch out, if you're gonna really reach out, today some of us, we haven't failed because we haven't tried. There's some stuff that we need to try and God is calling us into deeper water and we haven't failed because we haven't given it a shot. And so, man, you guys are so quiet right now. He's just like, but he wants, to, he wants us to pursue a little deeper so that it doesn't mean we're gonna nail it every time. Sometimes we're gonna blow it, Sometimes, but we're gonna grow through it. We're gonna learn, we're gonna grow. So here's what happens. Here comes the failure. It says, when they had kindled a fire, and, G- and Peter is following Jesus, when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, it's a cold night in Jerusalem. It's like 40 degrees in Jerusalem. And, and Peter sat down among them, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. So this is a moment of decision. This is a moment where Peter gets to go, yes, I am with him actually, and I'm standing by him. He's my master, he's my Lord, he's my savior. He's the Messiah, he's the Christ, and I'm gonna stick with him, just like I said, through prison and death, right? But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Strike one. This was the moment for Peter. Just a few chapters ago, he was saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, and Jesus was saying, you're a rock. You're a rock, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And now he is in front of a servant girl in a courtyard, there's a little fire, flickering in the shadows, kind of hiding out. She says, I think you were with him. Aren't you? No, no idea who he is. Strike one. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. Strike two. Just like that. You ever notice that like when you fail once, the second failure actually becomes easier? And sometimes it even becomes necessary. Like if you lie once, then sometimes you have to lie the second time to cover the first lie. And then things just sort of escalate. You know, now this, at this point, he can't, back, he can't back off. He's like, he can't back off. He had a servant girl challenge him, and he said, no, 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 I don't know him. Now he can't go back and go, well, actually, I do know him, all right? You know, he's, he's got to go, no, no, I got to double down on my failure. I don't, I don't know him. And after about an interval of an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. One of the, one of the gospels says that he cursed at this point. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about, you know, like, and not with him. And, and, and the tricky thing on this one is, this one's a little bit harder because the, the person that challenged him, the guy that challenged him the third time, he knew him. He had seen him just like an hour earlier. He had seen him in the garden because he was the cousin of the guy whose ear Peter cut off. I don't know, I, we haven't had that story. I'll tell you that one sometime. But, but Peter earlier was brave. Earlier, Peter was strong. Earlier, Peter had courage, and when the the soldiers came to get him, Peter draws out his sword, takes the guy's ear off, and this guy who's going, oh yeah, I remember you, tough guy, right? You, just an hour ago, you had your sword out, you were fighting guys, you had the other disciples around, you had Jesus with you, because I'm the cousin of the guy whose ear you cut off, and now here you are, slinking in the shadows, hiding in the firelight, afraid, I know who you are. You know, sometimes when we fail in front of people who have seen us strong, it makes the failure that much more bitter. You know, like if, you've, if, you've, if, you, if you fail in front of your kids and your kids think you're great and you blow it, well, man, that just, it just doubles the failure. If you fail in front of somebody you love, if you fail in, in front of a, a spouse or a friend, or, and, and now it's like, man, people, people get to, that's why we hide failure. 
Failure, we can kind of, on our own, we can kind of carry it. We just don't want other people to know about it, right? But if you don't expose it, you can't grow from it. You can't learn from it. You can't grow from it. And in fact, this is, this is one of the most touching moments in the Bible. Not only does this guy know him, but right when, G, right when Peter says it, it says immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So, so, so Peter's in this courtyard at the high priest's house. The high priest's house is right there. There's an open window. Jesus is in there being tried and persecuted. And, and right when Peter goes, I don't know him, Jesus looks over and looks at him. Imagine the shame. Imagine the condemnation. Imagine the guilt. This man is your Lord and your master and your savior and he's grown you and groomed you and developed you into a, a mighty man of God and, and, and in, in this moment of his greatest need, of his greatest hurt, of his greatest pain, you act like you don't know him. And Jesus looks at Peter and this, this is the moment that Peter breaks and the scripture says, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. You see, Peter, in this moment, stopped believing that he was the rock because his actions demonstrated to him that he was a failure. He blew it. He wasn't what Jesus said he was. He was not even, he wasn't, he wasn't a man of God. He wasn't the leader of the disciples. He was just another coward. He was just another failure. And he went out and wept bitterly but Jesus is actually trying to teach him something and he's trying to teach you something he's trying to teach me something what he's trying to teach us is this failure is an event it's not an identity failure is an event it's not a, if failure is something that you do it's not something that you are when we fail that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't tell us who we are we do that you know we do that we say if a person lies he's a liar if a person cheats he's a cheater you know if a person steals he's a thief right but but the scripture keeps saying, look, I'm making you into a new creation. I'll make you into a new creature. And what you did, I'll, 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 you, I'll forgive you of that, but it doesn't define who you are. You're not what you did. Your, your failure is not your identity. It's an event. And how do we know that? How do we know that Jesus actually was anticipating all this? I told you at the beginning that I would bring you back to this verse. And I just want to, for two seconds, drill down on this one scripture that was at the very top of the passage. It, it was when Jesus turned to Peter and he said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So I'm gonna pray that you don't fail. And when he said, you have turned again, this is Jesus to Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This, this term, turned again, it means turn around and come back. Epistepsis, that's what it means. It means come back from he said, Peter, I'm going to pray that you don't fail, but you are going to fail. But when you come back from your shame, and when you come back from your guilt, and when you come back from your failure, and when you come back from your pain, and when you come back from your heartbreak, and when you come back from the decision that you made that you wish you had never made, and when you come back from your shortcoming, I want you to strengthen your brothers. When you come back, Today, Jesus is calling some of us to come back. Come back from the pain. Come back from the view that we have developed about ourselves. Come back from our failures. Come back from our sin. Come back from our condemnation. Come back 
from our shame because he says, not only am I going to forgive you and receive you, but I want you to take what you learned in the midst of your failure and use it to strengthen your brothers. I'm not going to just forgive you. I'm going to use your sin. I'm going to use your guilt. I'm going to use your pain. I'm going to use your failure to help you strengthen your brothers. In fact, think about this. His failure is strengthening us today, right now. The story of Peter's denial is a source of strength for us. We begin to learn about ourselves and about the nature of God through watching how Jesus interacted with Peter in the midst of his denial. He's actually strengthening us through his failure right now. Jesus is saying to some of you, look, I want you to come back. I'm going to close with this. I want you to come back. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, wherever it is that, you've, that the pain is has narrowed down into your heart and has begun to affect your identity, come back. Come back from that. Because the last thing that I want you to know is this. Failure is only fatal if we fail to let it, let it change us. It only, it, it, it's, it's only ultimately destructive if we don't allow it to transform us in some way. I want you to come back. Be transformed by that and come back. If you think of it like this, the only difference between Judas and Simon is that Simon came back. Simon came back and asked for forgiveness. Simon came back and asked to be changed. Judas let the, let the remorse and the pain and the shame of what he did drive him to his death. Peter let it drive him to his destiny. The only difference is Peter came back. Peter said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to come back. I'm going to, go, I'm going to go one more time. You know what I thought about this week, and I'm going to close. I really am. This, this, <laughs> this, this poem, Casey at the Bat, never thought of this before. Just thought of it this week. Casey at the Bat, like, it just describes, it actually only just describes one game. It actually just describes one at bat in one game. Like, if there was another stanza to the poem, it would say, and then the next day, Mudville was playing another team, and Casey got back up to bat, and maybe this time he hits a home run. I mean, it's not the end of Casey's career, right? It wasn't the end. It's just, it's just describing one event, one moment in his life, one failure, right? But he can come back. Peter came back. You can come back. Whatever it is, that you have failed, wherever you have failed, whatever that thing is, and we all have our thing, it's all unique to us, where if, you, if anything even close to it hits you in your heart, you start to go to that place where you go, oh God, maybe I am a failure, maybe this is, the, right? He's saying, no, I can transform you, I can change you. So here's my application. The only application I have for you today is this, accept his forgiveness. That's it. There are no do's, there are no try, there are no, just accept his forgiveness in the part of your life that you would rather have nobody know about, that you would rather have under the rug, that you would rather have nobody see. Because he's looking at it, he sees it, he's turning and looking at it, not with condemnation, but with compassion, because he wants you to turn around. And he wants you to come back, because he wants to take what, what you have learned in your failure and use it to strengthen your brothers. If we do that as a church with love and compassion for one another and for the people who are coming and the people that we know in the community and the people who don't even believe in what we believe in and all that, I mean, can you imagine the transformational power of that? A group of people who are going, I'm forgiven. 
And I receive that forgiveness, and you're forgiven, and I want you to receive that forgiveness. And we begin to, we begin to take that out and strengthen one another and strengthen our brothers and our life groups and in the community and wherever we go. It's transformational. It's God's grace. It's not contingent of, on our perfect faith. It's his persistent grace. It keeps coming after us. Accept his forgiveness today. Let me pray for you. Father, as we close today, I just pray that your strength, your might, your power would be made known, made manifest in our hearts. I pray for every person here today who is struggling in some part of their heart where they don't, they don't know if you can forgive them in that area of their life. And they're actually, they'd just rather not think about it. Just, just rather not even bring it up. Just kind of keep it where it is. But we know, God, that they will experience so much more fulfillment and joy and strength and power and destiny if, you will, if they will allow you to, 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 to forgive that part of their life. And for those, God, that really feel like they have very little to be forgiven from, God, push them a little further. Help them to try some stuff. Give them some courage to, to find the edge of their capacity so that you can grow it. God, I pray for every single one of us. I just pray that your word, God, would be transformational in our hearts and bring us hope and peace so that we can turn around and do what you've called us to do, strengthen our brothers, strengthen our sisters, bring your love to this community, bring people and God together in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray this to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen.